Hello, Seraphim. The Voice of Seraphim is your source for all the news and information related to Magic Online and the Seraphim Clan. Seraphim hosts a weekly tournament, monthly leagues, and other regularly scheduled events, including a cube draft. We use voice chat and have an active forum at seraphimclan.org where you can find out more about us. So I guess it's just you and me catching up. And I just ordered to And I'm here too. Is that Osric? Yep. I don't really have show notes. Maybe I should. So much to talk about. What should we discuss? Hmm. Everything. What does everything encompass? Many things. He's at nine poison. Oh, you're winning. We'll see. That's good news. Unless he has something insane this turn. How many Warmarks do you have? I have four Phyrexians, so I'll have... Well, regardless of what happens here, I'll have the fifth. Have you just been playing that deck? It's my first one. And I thought, hmm, Mono Black Poison. That's easy to play. <laughs> Poison's like playing Mono Red. Just get in there. I'm not sure how this guy plans to win. He's like, just losing right now. Well, help me out. What's to talk about in Seraphim? Sweet. There's a deck tech video. And a cube draft. Mono Black Poison is the shit. Yeah, that's what I've always been playing through block. This block. So now I have four Warmark. Or five Corinthian Warmark. So yeah, um, let's see. Talk about stuff. Well, we have like the last three tournaments. Um, we can talk about the queue. We can talk about the updates to the Seraphim Players Club. We can talk about Seraphim Game Days. We can talk about Fractures Tuesday Night Standard Tournament. We can talk about... Clone magic. Whoa, whoa, slow whoa, down, whoa. slow, slow down. Take notes, Doug. Hurry up. Oh wow, I don't type that fast. Um, no, now I'm ready for. I just cracked up the pack I won, and I got a card. Sweet. The war market events. The entry fee is only one ticket. One ticket in the deck, and that's it. It's actually really good value. And who knows? Maybe the crack. Maybe the pack you open at the very end will have a card because that's the pattern I've noticed so far. Uh, that shouldn't have happened. I'll probably use up my luck for the rest of like the next five years. Kind of afraid to go outside now. So the last three events, back to classic popper, build your own standard and chromatic singleton. Yes. Whoa. I guess we don't have to go that far back if you don't want to. Do you remember that far back? Yes. Well, I've got the bring your own standard covered since I won that one. Awesome. Okay, so we got those three events. What else? Okay, so you have those three events. You have... We can talk about Fractures Tuesday Night Standard Tournaments. We can talk about the new videos being posted. Uh, like the Deck Tech and Toadie and Futon that are posting Scars Block Drafts. We could talk about some cube updates, talk about the new game days, and talk about the updates to the Players Club. Oh, and we can talk about how awesome our site is now. We played Dogman, I moved the site to a new host uh, this weekend because it was too slow. And now it's faster. Anything in MTGO news? We could talk about the Community Cup. We could talk about the Phyrexian Warmark with the last Warmark events. We could talk about the Master's Edition special, whatever, the ninth anniversary features. I've been doing those. I did two of those. I did terrible. <laughs> well, I didn't do terrible. I opened terrible cards and ended up doing not so well. I got a foil Nazabeth. I'm doing another one in again in an hour. I got absolutely com like complete trash. Like just all, like I didn't even get good cards that are like I I think I won one one match out of each of the ones I played in because they're Swiss. But overall, like the cards I had were pretty mediocre. 
Like, I would have been fine not opening up, like, a huge money rear. If at least I could, like, open up a pool that could win a few matches. We can talk about Protor and Nagoya and how LSV almost won. We got cheated by a Thopter Foundry. Oh, uh, not a Thopter Foundry, whatever the, that is. The Thopter Assembly, whatever it is. Yeah, Thopter Assembly. These commander decks are ridiculous. I'm just looking at price, just... Star City's prices on them. Should be the same price everywhere. I think they want 50 bucks for them. They want. They should only be able to sell those for thirty dollars maximum. Right. That's essentially my point. Well, I mean, all the from the vaults were MSRP'd at thirty, but you get from the vaults exiled. That was going for well over a hundred most stores. And these should. These aren't limited prints. They, these are not like limited from the vault prints. These are like sets that are just going to keep coming out. Okay. So we got plenty of events. We should probably start with Popper. That was three weeks ago. What do you remember about the Popper tournament? It was Friday. Were you there? I was. <laughs> Were you there, Eldritch? Yes, I was also there. What do you recall about that evening? Um, I recall playing a mono-white weenie deck and that, that I got completely dominated by Slivers and Temporal Fissure Storm. Who won that event? What were they playing? Sinzen won that, and he was playing uh, Green Black Poison, I think. It's actually a weird kind of turn of events, what happened there. Andre, you were playing the Temporal Fissure Storm, right? Yes. So it was like kind of almost a game of like rock, paper, scissors, because like I expected the Storm one to win, but um, Storm lost to Killer Cox, who was playing the Sliver deck. And then I thought, okay, Slivers, that's completely overpowered also. That's going to win. And then he faced Sinzen in the finals and lost to Poison, which came out of nowhere for me at least. Well, to be fair, I should have won the match against Slivers. I had him set on a lock, but I was just playing horribly that match, and I just screwed up so much stuff. Because I had him in a lock where I was playing Mnemonic Wall every turn and bouncing it and his land with Temporal Fissure, and then I screwed something up on that, and I lost that lock and couldn't do it anymore. Yeah, I remember watching that. Well, however it happened, Slivers and the Poison made it to the finals, and they're the ones that fought it out. And, you know, I guess overall I was not too terribly displeased with the way the results came out, because I'm pretty sure that um, that Poison deck was kind of a custom one that he had built on his own. That's cool. On a side note, I was wanting to play Mono Green Poison that, that tournament as well, but I couldn't get my hand on Invigorates, and I wasn't going to play it without those. I wanted to play Temporal Fissure Storm, and what, we, we could have had a mirror match. You probably would have taken it, since that was my first time picking up the deck. I've only played it, like, five times, maybe. Well, probably more than that, because the tournament, but not that many times. Just the one tournament, maybe, like, two practice matches beforehand. I ran a handful of Solitaires beforehand. The deck is really fun, though. I just love how you just keep going and going and going with the card draw and the untapping and following Storm and unleash everything. I mean, that was about all from the tournament, really, because you know, we had essentially those decks, and I didn't really see anything that's spectacular besides those. Those are the notable ones. And we had eight people, which is not bad. It was a bit disappointing, actually, like the really high turnout we had for the standard tournament. Like, we had, I think we had 14 then, and we had eight this time, which is not, it's not bad. It's about average. We went back to our average. So I guess it's on to build your own. Yes, right. On Juneteenth. Looks like Osric dominated. Yeah, I think I dropped one game the entire time. Didn't you lose a match to Avenge? Oh yeah, I did, that's right. He got uh 
Well, because I was playing combo and two games in a row, he got the double goblin guide and two goblin chieftain hand, and I just couldn't race that kind of speed. That's right. And then we did the top eight instead of top four, and three out of the four matches ended up in upsets with the lower lower ranking person coming in, winning out. Yeah, Sinzen was actually on the top of the pairings when we cut the top eight and then he ended up losing in there. And yeah, like, like I said, three of the four matches essentially ended up in upsets. Fist Alpha was in second place and he lost to Prism in a match. I couldn't actually believe that he lost since his deck was just as broken as mine was. And then Avenged lost out to somebody else. I can't remember who. But yeah, my, my deck was just thoroughly broken for that format. It's actually a modified legacy deck that wins the game by putting a hive mind onto the table and then casting one of the feature site packs, which makes the opponent also cast it, and then they can't pay for the cost on the upkeep and they lose the game. What's the fastest win you think he can pull off of that deck? Uh, as it is for Build Your Own Standard, it would be turn three. I did that twice during the tournament. With Ancient Tomb into an island, into another Ancient Tomb or a City of Traders with a Lotus Petal, dropping it for six and then casting a Pact. But with the Ancient Tomb into an island, I can Intuition on the end of their turn and get the last card that I need for my set, for my combo, and just go off there. Yeah, against my deck especially, it was just a foregone conclusion at that point, facing yours. Yeah, if you don't have an inter a way to interact with me, there's just nothing you can do. See, I was playing a um, Grand Architect deck with uh, bl like Splashing Black, and really the only like non-standard card I was using... Um, it was essentially a block deck with Tezzeret in it, and the only non-standard card I was using was, were Moloku, or was Moloku, the Clouded Mirror. And, um, yeah, he's actually really awesome with uh, the Grand Architect. Make a bunch of blue dudes and play all your artifacts. You don't need lands at that point. Yeah, so, I mean, I was happy with the way that deck went, but probably needs to be modified a little bit more, but I definitely like Splashing Black. I think Sinjin was playing an almost identical deck, except he was... It was weird, because he was playing the Grand Architect deck, but with white, and I was playing the same, almost the same exact build, but with black. And um, I had thought that I had just made up this deck. It was weird, because then I like, I was wanting to practice beforehand, so I challenged, he said he would like practice with me. So we both ended up going into a match, and we're like, essentially playing the same exact deck. He said, you copied me. And I thought for sure that I'd like, had this brilliant breakthrough with like Moloku and Grand Architect, and it's like, <laughs> no, already been done. But Splashing Black, I think Splashing Black actually made the deck a lot better. Um, we didn't actually get a chance to face off with our with after I added Black to the deck, but uh, his matches went a lot, a lot a bit better than mine. I think I can't. I think I faced Osric like second round and just got owned. I think you I were one of the people that I pulled off the turn three kill on. Probably. No, I didn't face you until the top eight. Yeah, because top eight I did get one of the turn three kills as well as in the finals. So the round I lost was against Orion, and I can't remember what Orion was playing. But he actually made it all the way to the finals, which I should probably remember what deck he was playing. He was playing black, white, life gain, direct life loss. All those black and white cards that make the opponent lose life while you gain life. That's right. Okay. As well as a bunch of discard effects. Yeah, I feel like our games were pretty awkward. Like, 
I always would get him almost there, and he'd have, like, one more spell or something to get me the rest of the way down. But, yeah, that was Build Your Own Standard. That leads us to Chromatic Singleton. Was that today? That was today. Yep, that was today. And uh, Sinzen won that one. And he was playing uh, Stygian, Mono Black. We actually only had six people for the tournament today, which is kind of disappointing because I would have liked to have done a top four, mainly because I was in third place. So that would have been more fun. But uh, they had a top two, and Sinzen and Iceman. Um, Ice was playing his typical one. He was playing the Crystalline Serpent, so he was playing the White Artifacts. So essentially, the black deck versus artifacts. And uh, black's actually gotten quite a few powerful cards lately. Uh, the Obliterator, Lash, or Ice. Lots of stuff. The Obliterator. Oof. I was actually playing something different this time around. I wasn't I wasn't playing my typical mono-white deck, flashing blue. I was playing... I actually decided to play green this time around. So I played green with black. I actually had quite a few really awesome... Uh, Awesome, like, plays because of the fact that, like, when you get all the mana ramp, like the Lotus Cobras and the Tree Speakers and all that, and you have, like, the Primeval Titans, you just get so much mana, and you have this, a big army of these huge green creatures, and unless they have, like, a Wrath of God, you just overrun them with all your stuff. It's pretty fun. And I was splashing black for, like, removal, like, Doomblade, go for the throat, and also for some big, like, game enders like Drana and like, Grave Titan. And I had one Kozilek in there for good measure. I got to play him once off a summoning trap, but I was dead the next turn anyway, so it's kind of disappointing that I get my Eldrazi and just lose still. I mean, that would suck. It did suck. Because <laughs> that's exactly what happened. Uh, let's see. Knife Hits, I believe, was also playing Mono Black. Tordek was playing Mono Black. Prism was playing Blue. I think so. We had, like, what, four Mono Blacks, a Blue, and then a Green? And that was a turnout for this one. Didn't have any uh, Crimson or Empire this time around, which I'm surprised nobody was playing white considering, I guess, the one I wanted to play, but I started to do something different. But, you know, with all, like, the um, Stoneforge, Mystic, Batterskull nastiness you have with all the swords, I would expect somebody to be playing white. I was wanting to play white this week, but I had a going-away party I had to go to today, so I wasn't able to make it. Yeah. I think the one, though, that had the most interesting one was... Um, See, Iceman won. I was watching one of his games, and I can't remember what creature he had out. It was just some random creature, but he had um, sort of body and mind, uh, feast and famine, and war and peace on it on the creature, along with a batter skull. So essentially, every good equipment in standard was equipped to the one creature, and it just beat face. And I saw the same thing with somebody else. I think it was Sinzin that had like. Two swords uh, and batter skull on like a uh, Phyrexian obliterator. So it's like a 15-15 with trample, all the swords, vigilance, and lifelink, and essentially unkillable. And that was pretty cool. All right. Well, that brings us up to the next event, which is it will be standard again. Oh no, hold on. It'll be block. We're gonna go back to block. So next Friday night at 8 p.m. Seraphim time is block. Yep, and I cannot. I think this might be our first block tournament since New Phyrexia, but I'm not 100% sure on that. I think so, because New Phyrexia came out, like, what, three weeks ago, maybe? Not too long ago. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, three weeks. So, yeah, it should be our first one since New Phyrexia, so it'll be interesting to see people play block, especially after the Pro Tour in Nagoya where, like, all the... Well, well apparently, like, the consensus was that, like, the... Um, 
the white tempered steel decks are like the dominant deck out there now. So I imagine we're going to see a lot of those. Should be fun though. In your green black effect. Green black black effect is the worst. Never play that. Oh, what did you play? Was it just black? When? For your uh, your uh, token, your war mark. Your war mark. Mono black. Oh, mono black. Mono black is a lot more consistent. You want to share that deck list so I can win some war marks? I can, yeah, I can, sh- I can send it to you if you like. It's uh, not anything, anything too complicated. Just all the really awesome black effect guys and Barrel and Wound, the best one casting <laughs> removal spell in the format for poison. So, so good. Probably there's some updates that could be made to it because I haven't updated it since New Pyrexia, so I imagine there's a few other like black spells that might make their way in there. This member. This member would be one. So, Probably replace the other grasps. So it's the weirdest thing. When I signed on Wednesday, in addition to the two Warmark games, there was the... Let me see what it was. In addition to the four-player, there was a two-player. Yeah, there was a two-player Warmark block-constructed queue, which they must have pulled down, but I won one signal pest playing those, and then I guess they vanished because they weren't even supposed to start until next Wednesday. Weird. But yeah, that's the idea. You Warmark, you play in that, you win, you get a signal pest promo. Isn't that weird? So I have a signal pest promo. And then when I went back that evening, because I was all stoked about winning more signal pest, it was gone. That is weird. Yeah. But if I were you, I'd be working on not spending my war mark, but getting some more. Yeah. It's a great idea. Because those events next Saturday look pretty awesome. That's a lot of free stuff. That's a lot of free stuff. Yeah, so send me your deck list. The other awesome thing that uh, Mono Black Infect gets for from New Phyrexia is Mutagenic Growth. I don't really like them that much. They're especially awesome when people try to last grasp things and they survive afterwards. Or Grasp of Darkness, I should say. I always call it last gasp. Anyway. So, why don't we move on to uh, game days? Sure, let's move on to game days. So Seraphim has instituted game days. Yeah, it's actually an idea that we talked about on the podcast. Um, it was talking about the Players Club, and then the Pastafarian brought up the idea. So we were talking about people were uh, wanting to be able to play tournaments essentially on like non-weekends, like days that, you know, during the week, things like that. And he said that we could have game days where it's sort of like a free-for-all. You game for a certain, like a, a whole day for a certain format, and then clan members will challenge each other to that format on that day, and then we'll get some kind of reward for playing um, against each other that way. And so I finally got around to putting it up, and we had game days started last week. I mean, so there are a few things that actually led to a few other developments that we can talk about when we get to talking about the Players Club. Um, but the way it's set up now is Monday is for Standard, Tuesday is for Popper, Wednesday is for any Eternal format, so that'd be like Legacy, Classic, Vintage, Thursdays for multiplayer, so there'd be like two at a giant, commander, or in just a normal multiplayer, like round table, whatever. And then Sunday is clone magic, the way people that play in the clone magic tournaments get like almost double the points, because they get a point for winning, they get credit for being in the tournament, plus they get another point for playing a, you know, a clone magic game against someone else. 
Same thing actually for like the league. Like, if you play league matches on Tuesday and you like a league match on Tuesday, you get you, know, you report the results for the league, and plus you can report them for the proper game day. So you get double points there also, in a manner of speaking. So um, essentially the way it works is that there's now a new subform under events called Seraphim Game Days. And when you play somebody in a match, if you win, you just go to the subform, and there's a thread for each day. You go into that day, you post your results, and then at the end of the week, I'll go through there, and I'll just count all the times you won a match and give you one point per win. And I guess, I mean, there are a few stipulations. Like, you can only play the same person for, like, a point on that day once, so you just can't, like, sit there and grind with one person for the next, you know, three matches or whatever until you, until you like, you both have the amount of points. Um, and you can only earn up to three points a day. So even so, like, I have noticed that people have been, at least the first week where when it first came out, people were actually playing a lot more games inside the clan than they were before, which I think is the, only, well, this, this is the whole point of the program, and I'm glad that people have been enjoying it. And the only discussion that has gone on at this point is whether or not we should adjust some of the formats. So, for example, we could say standard game day, or it could also be standard and block. So it could be that entire subsection there. So you could play standard games or block games to still get points. And also for Wednesday with the eternal formats, um, really aren't that many people in the clan that play Classic Vengeance Legacy, but I wanted to have a day for them anyway. But some people were suggesting like we could remove that and replace it with something else that more people play. I'm not sure what we should do about that. That's up to you guys, but um, any kind of feedback about that would be appreciated. See some of the comments. Um, let's see. Um, it's pretty much about adding blocks. Some people wanted even us to make a day for Build Your Own Standard or Chromatic to be there. Um, or we could include a turn formats. We could include Build Your Own Standard in that Wednesday so people could play Build Your Own Standard or Classic Legacy of Vintage. Um, that's about all the feedback I've gotten so far about it. And then everyone has their own favorite format. So, like, Matthew's back says he wants to see a 100-card singleton in there. Well, that's probably not going to happen. He could have maybe a singleton day. I don't know. But that's about I – mean, we don't want to have too many different formats. Everyone's just going to be confused. The important, yeah, the important thing um, at this point is that um, if you look under – on like if you go to the main page and look under the upcoming tournament section on the right sidebar – I added a new uh, new section called Weekly Events, and that actually has the schedule for our just regular events. So there's the game days for the entire week. And I've also got listed Tuesday Night Magic, which Fracture has been running at 8 p.m. on Tuesdays. And I have all the cube drafts also listed on there as well. So if you want to see what our just typical weekly events are outside of our normal tournaments, just go down below the upcoming tournament section, and there's the weekly events calendar. And those are always consistent and the same. And that's about it for game days. And you wanted to talk about Clone Magic? Oh, well, Clone Magic is still going on. Um, I finally ended up buying the pool last week and played my first... Even though I showed a blade on accident, I was like so excited because I spent like the entire day, like I bought all the cards, I spent some time building the deck. I'm like, I'm finally going to be able to go to this one of these clone tournaments, so I show up at 8.30 and I'm like, I'm ready to play in clone. And they're like, oh, well, we started half an hour ago, but you can go ahead and play anyway. I guess you are the uh, clan captain. I am the clan captain. So there were four people when I showed up. I got the buy for round one, and then I played in the, la- the next two rounds um, and actually ended up winning the first clone that I played in, which is kind of fun. I mean, so I always thought it was a really good idea, just the clone pool and having all those cards and then doing, like, the different deck-building rules each week. Having played having played in the tournament, I can definitely say the clone magic is just sweet. Um, 
the rules for the last week were that you couldn't have any creatures that had keyword abilities, so they couldn't have flying, trample, shroud, anything that is a keyword. So a lot of the creatures were essentially like either just vanilla creatures, or they didn't, or they had some kind of effect that was not a keyword yet. Um, and what I did was I didn't have that much time to do the deck building, so I just kind of randomly decided that I was going to play Grixis because that's my favorite shard. I probably was probably in hindsight, but might have been a dumb idea to try to go for a three-player deck on the first one. But I wanted to play Grixis, so I essentially just built a Grixis control deck. Um, every like, since there was no restriction on spells, just every like overpowered spell and any like all of those, um, you know, throughout the entire clone pool. And so, since I had been playing um, Grixis a lot in Standard Singleton, I had a pretty good idea of which cards were good in Grixis, so I just pulled all of those in, and I grabbed a few like creatures. So I think I had like four creatures, maybe, but they were all like beaters. Um, my favorite one was um, Plague Sliver, which is like a 5-5 five, five for 4, and the only bad side is like he's like a Juzong Jin, essentially. At the beginning of your upkeep, you take one point of damage. Yeah, he's actually exactly like a Juzong Jin. So um, he was really sweet, and he won me a few games. And yeah, I just sat there and controlled, and that was my strategy for playing clone. And uh, since I won, I got to add a card, so I added another Grixis card. I added um, Sidraxis Spectre, which is the one card I actually wanted to play in the clone pool, but found it wasn't there. So now it's there. So anyone that plays Grixis, you can thank me for the Sidraxis Spectre. <laughs> so I can check. Um, unfortunately, I'm not going to go to play in clone this week, but I can check to see what the rules are for this one. Let's see if this up yet. Okay, so the one for this week is... All spells must have a converted mana cost of 1, 2, or 3. It's a 60-card deck, and sideboards are allowed. So I'm pretty sure, looking at this, it does not include creatures. So only spells need to cast 1, 2, and 3. Because the following week says all non-creature spells. I'm not sure whether that means of all spells, like creatures included. I guess it does. I guess it means everything has to be 1, 2, or 3. But it looks pretty fun. It'll be... Interesting to see how people play that because, like, some there's some actually really overpowered spells that only cost three, like Fireball, since it's an X spell, only te- technically costs less than converted, may cost one. So you can play a bunch of Fireballs and still do pretty good. Well, we'll see. Unfortunately, I won't be there, but hopefully they'll get six because they need, in order to meet the, the Seraphim Players Club requirements, need to have at least six people. So if they don't, at least they can still earn points for the game day on Sunday, but. I'd like to see Clomage get six people so they can finally get some points. The hardest part for sure is just getting the pool. Maybe I should get around to actually buying the pool. It's not that expensive. I think I bought the entire thing for like 15, 20 maybe at most. It's like two, two, three dollars per color. So times that by five is like 15. And then you had to buy the multicolor. So I mean, it's not really that bad, but it's a lot of cards. Well, to be fair, I probably have about half the pool already anyway. That's true. Actually, one thing I didn't do was I didn't actually go through and check to see if I actually had any of the cards yet. I just bought everything twice, essentially, but it wasn't a big deal. Emmy sealed in 20 minutes. Should be fun doing another one now. Hopefully you get something good. Did you uh, end up selling your maze? I'm working on it. What's the foil one go for? Uh, Traders is selling it for 23 Nobody's selling them on Classified. Except for me, so I just have it sitting there, waiting until somebody comes along and actually wants it. That's actually really good. It's, it's more than twice the value of the normal one, so you could just like sell the foil and buy a non-foil if you wanted. 
I already have a non-foil. Never play more than one. That's true. At some point, I need to get a Maze of It for the cube. It's on our wish list. Well, if I pick up another one when doing this, I'll donate it. I was hoping to, I was honestly hoping to, like, well, it's kind of stupid, but I was hoping to, like, play this in the event, like, open a Force of Will and give that to the cube. That'd be pretty awesome. That would be pretty awesome. If I open a Force of Will, it's not going there. <laughs> Figures. But that's where mine would have went, because I don't really care about Force of Will. I would have just given it to the cube. Um, or any of the duels, but I didn't open up any duels. I didn't open up Force of Will. I didn't open up a Maze of Ith or a library or anything really useful at all. I'm working on getting my set of Force of Wills right now, so that's why I want to be donating it. I've got enough to buy one right now, and I've been saving up some money that I haven't been spending on other things in real life so that I can eventually just buy my set. Yeah, it's too bad that, like... It's not like when you buy Jace the Mind Sculptor, then you're essentially done because that's the most expensive card. Like, after you buy the Force of Wills, there's still so many other expensive cards you got to grab, too. I already have all the other expensive cards. Force well, there you go. For me, it's like, I'm thinking of the Wastelands, all the duels, and you have, like, Vindicates, Tarmogoyfs, and just, a, like, a bunch of stuff. Just finished off selling my set of Tarmogoyfs, or not of Tarmogoyfs, but of Vindicates. That got me one and a half forces right now. And they're down to 100. Forces are down to 120, so that's pretty nice, too. Weren't they, like, at 160 at some point? Yeah. How'd they go down so far? Uh, after the GP legacy uh, interests have been dying down somewhat. But I'm actually trying to get to the point where I can actually play Hive Mind in Legacy but I have to have four Force of Wills to do that. I have all these expensive cards that I've just resolved to never sell either, so I have my full set of duels. Four of all ten of them. I've got all my fetches, my wastelands. I've I pretty much resolved to never sell any of my mana base. Yeah, that's a good decision. That's what I'm going to do for my standard ones, but yeah. All I had, at one, I think all I had at one point was like I had three of the duels, just one of each. I was like, I, I wasn't gonna, I couldn't do anything with those. So I just gave them to the cube. But if I had more of them, I definitely would have saved them because you never like just having a mana base. They're never obsolete. You never know when you might need those. Well, this way I can choose to play any kind of deck in Legacy, and I already have the mana base for it because I have all the fetches and all the duels, and half the time the mana base is half to two thirds of the deck cost. It's true. Yeah. Like, every now and then I'll come across the Legacy deck where I go, oh my god, I have almost all those cards, and then I look at the mana base, and I'm missing, like, you know, the duels and the Wastelands, and then I'm like, okay, well, never mind. Yeah, the Wastelands were the first thing I bought going into Legacy. What are they now, like, 40 or 50 each? Uh, people buying for 40 in Classifieds, people selling for 45. Yep, pretty big money, but I imagine the format's worth it at some point, <laughs> eventually. Well, I bought them for 25 because I got into it right before Legacy really took off. And so I got a bunch of my cards way cheaper than they are now. Like, I, I just made about 120 bucks off my Vindicates when I sold them from what I paid for them originally. Why'd you end up selling those? Aren't they going a lot of decks? They really don't, actually. They go into... Uh, certain decks, but most of those decks don't end up playing blue, and that's what, more what I'm steering towards. 
Makes sense. I'm, I'm selling them to try to get to Force of Will, so, I mean, that's my purpose right now. Those Force of Will type cards that you just exile a card from your hand, those are pretty broken. Like, I, I played the, the black version of Contagion in the cube last time. My card is pretty awesome. It comes out of nowhere. Yeah, you wrecked me with it, if I remember correctly. I think I did play it once against you, and I think I killed, I can't remember what I killed, maybe a Grave Titan. Perhaps not, I don't remember. That was in some ways, like, a really awesome cube and a very depressing cube. Like, I had a, thought I had a pretty sweet deck, and then I did really well round one. I eventually got past you, which was pretty pretty tough. And then I was playing Senzin, who just wrecked me without even, like, trying. And it's sad because I think probably you would have won against Senzin because your type of deck would have been a lot better against his. Mine was just not working at all. This was, like, the antithesis of, like, everything my deck was trying to do. She ended up playing, like, two or three matches after we had finished, and just every single time, and there was no contest, and never even won a single game. This deck would just would wreck me over and over again. And deck hacks, in case you're wondering, I was playing a um, <laughs> black-white aggro with a... Uh, I think the coolest card I had in the deck was Nether Void. Um, and what that card does, it's a four-costed card, and it says that you count... Like, any spell that gets cast is countered unless they pay an additional three. So essentially, once you cast it, your opponent and your opponent really can't cast any more spells because they don't have enough mana. And you can still cast a lot of your spells because you're all really low-costed. So you can still play a few things while, you, while they're mostly, like, mana-locked. So it ends up winning the game a lot of times. So that was a pretty cool card that I had in that deck that I played for the very first time and actually had it be good. Um, and then I got... I, I actually aggroed my way all the way up to the finals and then Sinzen just had, like, this blue... Uh, blue-green ramp control deck that just completely destroyed me. I think he had, like, the perfect card against me the entire time. I think he had, like, his sort of Feast and Famine. He had the gigantic uh, Chameleon Colossal Pro Black. I mean, just, like, it was just, like, a whole slew of these cards that were just, like, like they were designed to beat my deck. And he had Soul Ring and Jace the Mind Sculptor, just the most <laughs> ridiculous cards. It just completely, like, blew me out the entire time. Yeah, he had the deck that I usually end up with. It was still fun, but it was kind of sad getting to the finals and just losing, like, before he even got started. And I, I could not believe, like, the kind of start he had on, like, when we were in the, like, the second game of the finals. He just had, like, the most explosive start ever. Like, a turn one, turn one soul ring and just ramped into, like, all this stuff. And it was, like, eight mana by, like, turn four. At which point I just conceded. And so Fracture's going to do a Tuesday night standard event? He's actually been doing them for the last two weeks. I think the first time he did it, he got 12 people, and the second time I think he got 8 in. I think it maybe might have been 10. But yeah, he's holding standard tournaments on Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Seraphim time. So, I mean, we had a discussion a while back about adding more standard tournaments to our monthly rotation, and we decided it'd be easier to have a separate tournament held every single week. So Fracture volunteered, and now he's holding standard tournaments at 8 p.m. Seraphim time every single Tuesday. And it works essentially the same way as our tournaments work. You just show up, you join the Seraphim channel, and he handles all the you know the pairings and the rankings and things like that, and then you play standard. And obviously, there's there are no real like there aren't really any prizes for that. You don't have like a you know first place prize or what have you. But and there's no like trophy for that. But you do get seraphim points for playing in those, and they do count um, toward the seraphim player rankings. I mean, if at some point Fracture wants to offer a prize, or if he wants to have the ball to offer a prize, I'd be fine with that. But for now, it's just you play those tournaments for fun, for practice. You get Seraphim points, and it's just a fun way to use your standard deck. Man, I don't think I've gotten prizes from the vault for a long time. 
Yeah, well, see, I'll, I've been really tricky lately, and uh, I don't actually offer the prizes. You have to come and ask for them. Oh, man. I don't really care that much, so it doesn't really bother me. Just makes things simpler, from my end, at least. Makes sense. So, in a couple of... I'm wanting to do what Mafoy did with the uh, draft, the faux draft. And I'm wanting to do that on Monday nights. That would be cool. How does it work, though? And can I offer prizes? And what do I do about rares? Okay, well, it depends. The way Mafoy did it was he had essentially a full set of all the rares from Scars and Meriden and Meriden of Siege. And the odds are that, like, if you're dressing with eight people, not many rares or mythics are going to be opened up that you couldn't probably, like, either they wouldn't already own or that they would be more than they could borrow from you. So what he did was if you, you, drafted, you drafted your deck on the site, and then if you didn't own some of the rares of the mythics, he would loan them to you for the duration of the tournament, like the cube almost, and then you'd give them back to him after you were done. So, I mean, the easiest way to do it would be if you actually had a bunch of the rares and the mythics from Scars, Myriad, and Myriad of Siege, and Euphorexia. And you could loan them to people to play with during the draft, and then they give give it back to you at the end. Because theoretically, people should already have all the commons and uncommons. If they don't, they probably couldn't. They probably shouldn't be playing in the draft. But if they already have all those, then really it's only the rares and the mythics that people have to worry about. And most of the rares probably people already have, but the mythics are what people need to borrow most of the time. I mean, one thing you might you, you might could do is just like. When you set the draft up, you can just ask people, like, well, who has this rare? Who has this rare? Maybe somebody has a lot of rares, and they could be willing to loan them out for the duration. I mean, I don't think uh, we really have been having – I mean, I don't think we've ever had a problem with anybody ever stealing anybody else's cards or not giving them back after the trade was over. So, I mean, as, um, I don't think most club members should have a problem with loaning the card to somebody else for, you know, whatever, however long it takes to finish a draft. But, I mean, if they have to leave early, that could be a problem. But, you know, and plus, you know – uh, if I'm around, I'll, I'll probably have a lot of versions of it, so I could be, I could donate some of those. Or not donate, but, you know, be there for, to loan them out. And I imagine there are other people that would draft that would be able to do the same. So hopefully it shouldn't be a problem. I mean, there might be some scenarios where, like, someone, like, two people in the same draft, draft both draft a Karn, and there's only one Karn that you have in your collection or whatever, but it shouldn't be that big of a deal because Mythics and Bears, or Mythics especially don't really show up that often in drafts. Not the big ones, anyway, like Sword of War and Peace, Batter Skull, Obliterator, Karn, what have you. Yeah, I'm missing a few of the rares. Urbrask, Elishnorn, Conversion Chamber. No, that's uncommon. Etched Monstrosity. I mean, but a lot of those are not that expensive. Yeah, if you need it. I suppose if I had one, I'd pretty much be covered. Yeah, but I was going to start that in a couple of weeks. Two weeks. That would be pretty fun. So he used um, Tapped Out. Is that right? Yeah, Tapped Out. So I have to figure that part out. And then prizes. Do you have suggestions on prizes? Um, I mean, you could have the Vault give promos. We have, I mean, we could probably afford to give out, you know, one pack to the winner depending on, you know, how that works. Um, obviously, there are the Seraphim points that you get from participating, so the bigger the turnout, the more Seraphim points. So a full draft pod, eight person, you get the full amount of points for the first place through, you know, everybody else. Yeah, I was thinking I could cover, like, a pack of whatever the new set is for the first place winner. Do you think that's sufficient? A what? Just a pack of the newest set 
So, like, if we drafted today, then a pack of new Phyrexia for the winner. Yeah, I would say that'd be more than sufficient. Okay. Well, that's what I'm going to do. Let's see how it goes. Let's see. What else do we have on our list? Lots of new videos. On the videos note, I'm getting ready to start doing a set of videos about Legacy and working on a couple decks to start doing that with. Now, that would be a cool video series. That would be cool. Very unique niche. Since that's the big format that I play the most of. Yeah, that's what's cool. And if it's what you like, there are other people who are interested in it. So, what's the basis of the series? Like, what would you be doing? Going through particular deck builds or playing games? or? Uh, probably, well, I'd choose a deck and I'd probably uh, play... Play maybe a daily for each video, and like play a different deck each time. Maybe do a couple on the same deck. Yeah, that'd be cool. Talk about talk about all the different interactions that can happen and all that jazz. That would be very cool. And what's the deck tech we have up posted up now? Um, see, those deck techs um, are by Leonard, and he's been doing this. Like, he's been doing standard decks that are not necessarily tier one. I think he's been doing so far the first one was of a mono red build and the second one I think is vampires. Um, let's see. Oh yeah, it is vampires. Well, essentially what he does as far as I can tell, um, I haven't actually watched his entire series but I watched his introduction is he just kind of just pulls the deck up in Magic Online, talks about the card choices, then he plays a few games with it and then he goes over like a summary of it at the end and tells like what he thought about the deck and how what could be changed and what have you. So it's just sort of like an overview and a bit of a demo of the deck, as far as I can tell. Oh, that's cool. It's actually been getting some pretty positive responses on, on YouTube, so I'm glad to see that people like that, and I'm glad that he's still making those, or going to continue making them. Yeah, that's a cool concept. And did you have um, updates to the Players Club that you wanted to cover, or did you already cover that? Um, no, we can cover it now. Um, see, the way we had it before, let's see, um, you, what we had it before was for, if you had eight people in the tournament, first place would earn four, second would earn three, and then third and fourth would earn two, and everybody else would just earn one. And if you had six, the numbers were decreased a bit, there'd only be a top two, there there were six, so first would earn three, second would earn two. And everybody else would get one. And that was what we were doing it for pretty much all of our tournaments. Um, the thing was, when we introduced these game days, you can't really go below, like, I don't really want to go below, like, one point for each one. So if people were talking about we could do, like, half points or quarter points or what have you. And I don't think that oh, was a no. bit... Don't do that. Uh, oh, no. Don't do that. Yeah, a bit confusing. So you could earn three points. I mean, if you played in all the game days and got the maximum amount of points, you could earn three points a day. So that's essentially 15 points a week. And so the thing people were wondering, we didn't want to, you know, I wanted to offer like an alternative solution or alternative way to earn points um, in our players' club so you didn't have to play in our tournaments or earn points. But at the same time, we didn't want it to be like that. We wanted to keep the focus on our weekly tournaments. So like, you know, if you played in all the game days, you get 15 points. But even if you got first place in our weekly tournament with maybe 16 people playing it, you'd still only get, what, four points for doing that. So what we did to balance it out was we multiplied essentially by three all of the point levels that people would get for playing our tournament. So now instead of earning four points in first place, you'd earn 12 points and, you know, etc. So 
Um, everybody just had their everybody had their point total multiplied by three. We had the levels, each of their point totals multiplied by three. So in order to get level eight now, you need three hundred points instead of one hundred. I mean, it, it sounds a lot. It sounds inflated, but with the um, increase in points from the tournaments plus the points from the game on the game days, so now if you play in all the game days, you can get a maximum of fifteen points. You win first place in a tournament, you get twelve. So, I mean, they're almost on par now, and most pe- I think most people are probably going to be doing both at the same time. So I think it actually evens out fairly well if you multiply them by three, and that seems to be working right now, um, and I like the way that actually looks. And, yeah, I mean, that's essentially it. We just wanted to make sure that people had two ways to earn points. The game days are one way, the tournaments are another way, and... You know, we have to, and there definitely is some room for overlap, but if you can't make your tournaments, at least you have the game days, so you can just keep getting more points in our players' club and you don't feel left out. Everybody loves seeing having lots of points anyway. Yeah, so now it's, now it's seeing a maximum, like having 100 points, now you have 300 points, so all the point totals look bigger, so they make you look more impressive. Um, actually, right as of right now, um, Sinzen is the player with the highest number of points. He's been winning quite a few tournaments lately. Um, he's got 99 points currently, and he's our first level 4 member. Sweet. Yeah, so maybe the um, the bash board or whatever you want to call it today, it's um, using the Ameria Angel. So that's the new level four, the Order of Ameria, and um, that's what we have so far as the max. Um, so you need at least, I believe, ninety points to get level four. So he's nine points over, and the next level I don't think is until like hundred and twenty. So he's still got, we still have a long time until we have a level five. Could be more than hundred twenty, I think. I'm, not exactly 100% sure on that, but it's quite a few points ahead. Oh, and you two are level three. Correct. And I'm level zero. Also correct. <laughs> so you just proves you can get to the top through quantity rather than quality. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but... All those points I have are just from, like, being at everything. Whereas all of mine are just from winning everything. Being present counts, man. So what kind of sealed are you doing, Osric? Uh, it's a special sealed right now. You get one pack of each Masters Edition. So you get one ME1, one ME2, one ME3, and one ME4 pack. And you build build a 30-card deck out of it. Uh, and this is for the ninth anniversary celebration? I think they're dropping the, uh, the ME4 packs from the store on like the 27th, something like that. So this is like the farewell to Masters Edition 4. These seals actually have really good payouts. Like if you win this, if you go three zero in the sealed, you get two packs of ME one, a pack of ME two, ME three, and ME four. So you get like, what? What is that? Like, uh, five packs from going three zero in a Swiss. It's pretty nice. Oh, and I, I'm doing the daily event, so it has a bit different payout. It's also true. Those actually have about twice that. It's also four rounds over three. And how's your pool looking? Not too bad. Looks like I'm going to be playing green and black with one red card that's mostly black anyway. Quite a few big fatties, uh, like three removal cards. Two big creatures to be attacking with is an Iron Hoof Ox and a Sengir Vampire. I got a Sylvan Library, which is about half the cost of the pool to begin with. Sylvan Libraries are nice. I already have two as it is, so probably end up selling it. Should help you win, though, which is nice. Yeah, being able to not draw two cards that you don't want to the rest of the game is very nice. Basically just a free top every turn. 
The one card I always get got like destroyed by was that one white creature. I can't remember the name, but it's a four cost. Um, and it's the one that gives all creatures plus one, plus one. Yeah, I've got it. Unfortunately, I only have three other playable white cards, so I can't really justify playing it. Yeah, it seems like everybody that, like, every deck that had that card had, like, a winning against Eldritch-like build. I actually I had, actually it, had it, it last night when I played this, one of these seals as well, and it, it did pretty well to me, but I ended up just going two and two with it. But it got me two packs and my $20 Maze of it, so I was happy with it. Yeah. <laughs> That's good enough. If I can go at least two and two here, I'll be happy with this deck. Because it all paid for itself. What do you get for 2 and 2? Uh, you get one Master's Edition 1 and one Master's Edition 4 pack. Let's see, here's the payouts for the points. Going 2 and 2, you get one Master's Edition 1, one Master's Edition 4, and zero QPs. Uh, for 3 and 1, you get one of each Master's Edition pack, so you get 4 packs. And if you go undefeated, you get three Masters Edition 1, two Masters Edition 2, two Masters Edition 3, and three Masters Edition 4, and three QPs. Nice. So going, winning two rounds gets me, pays for my draft, and then anything more than that is just gravy. I'd like some gravy. And the Community Cup. We won the Community Cup. The Community won the Community Cup. Once again. What do we get for that? I believe uh, we get a... Uh... Free entry to a Planeswalker format tournament where if we, you, just by entering it, I think you get like an M, M11 pack and then winning it, I think if you, if you win the entire thing, you get like your choice of any three packs. Well, what is it? I'm not sure. Oh, it's uh, on the uh, Magic Online forums. They had like the like nominations and voting whatever for like the community members that they wanted to represent like the community. And what the Community Cup is, is it's essentially the players, like a team of players from the community of Magic Online versus the employees of Wizards. Um, and they just play Magic. That's what they were talking about. I think the formats were like Unified Modern, Unified Standard, and then something else, maybe. But anyway, yeah. So our community team had some pretty awesome guys. LSV was on the community team. Um, and as far as I've heard, and looking at the, the results, they completely dominated the Wizards team. Which is nice because if Wizards came and won, all we would have gotten was a retarded Darksteel Relic promo. And now we get this, I mean, the, this prize is not amazing, but still, like, it's, you get to play in a Planeswalker format tournament, which means that basically anybody can enter it because the, almost all the accounts now come with the Planeswalker cards. So you play in that, if you just enter it, you get a free M11 booster, which is already good value because it's just a free pack. And if you win, you get your choice of any three packs. So you can get, like, what, three Master's Edition 1 packs or three Urza, Urza's Legacy packs or whatever you want. And that's a pretty good deal for doing essentially nothing. Wizards lately has actually been pretty good about giving us cool events, like these Master's Edition events. Those are pretty sweet. And uh, these Warmark events. This are, that's really good value. Yeah, so the Warmark events. There are currently four-player Warmark block-constructed queues for one event ticket. If you win first or second place, you get a war mark of whatever particular four-player competition you enter, whether it's, what is it, New Phyrexia or Mirrodin? Yeah. If 
you get first, you get a new Phyrexia booster pack. And if you end up with, how many do you need? Five Warmarks? Either Mirren or Phyrexia. Yeah, you can enter the uh, Mirrodin block, Scars block, Swiss Seal tournament on Saturday the 25th. Looks like there are three times, four times. That that's opening for just the war marks. Pretty good. Win nine points. Get a signal pest promo card. One scars pack. One Mirrodin besiege pack. One no Phyraxia pack. That's pretty nice. Yes, I mean for essentially like for those five war marks, you're getting six free booster packs. Essentially, like I think most accounts probably came out. I think four. Warmarks mm -hmm. each, so most people, if they haven't done mm -hmm. anything yet, would have had to earn one. And that's pretty easy to do, because I just did it in about 30 minutes, just playing uh, one of those Scars Block tournaments, and you just gotta get, you know, win one round, and you can get your Warmark. And uh, you just need five of those, you enter, you get, you know, you get six booster packs, you actually get, so you get the current block, the current Scars Block, and the old Mirrodin block. So that'd be uh, Moons of Mirrodin, um, Dark Steel, and Fifth Dawn. And those three sets actually have some pretty sweet rares in them that are worth um, some pretty good money. So, um, you know, you never know. You could open up, like, a Sword of Light and Shadow or a Sword of Fire and Ice or what have you and just, you know, win the whole draft off of that card and then sell it for, like, $15, $17 on here. It's not a bad deal for free. And plus, you know, Scars Block has some pretty nice rares also. And all that's just for free for, well, essentially for free, just for playing in the, uh, the War Marks. And if you win, you get even more stuff. And so you could have... It's either five Phyrexian or Mirrodin. So I mean, if you had, you played in one of the, you got one Mirrodin, one more Mirrodin Warmark and one Phyrexian Warmark, you can get essentially just two free seals and that's twelve packs for just spending basically two tickets if you end up winning both of your um, Scars Block tournaments. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to start grinding this this week. Yeah, and you know the decks you see in those are not really that tier one. I mean, they're they're pretty good, but they're not like, you know, I was. You know, I was thinking I was going to see, like, you know, a bunch of Tempered Steel decks, but, I mean, all I saw was, like, the green-black Poison deck and, like, a uh, blue-black Control deck that wasn't that hard. So, I mean, you can play in there with a decent block deck and still expect to go to the second round. Well, they look like they're uh, separated by Frexian and Mirren, so do you end up having to play against Mirrens at if you go in the Frexian queue? The, the, the queue does not determine um, what decks you can play. It just determines what... Warmark you get at the end. Yeah, so you can take any deck you want to be either one of those. It doesn't matter. It's just the Warmark you get. Then why does it matter? I, I guess I don't understand the difference between Phyrexian and Mirren Warmarks, then. There's no difference, except that you have them in different quantities. So you might have, like, three Phyrexians and four Mirrens, so you would have to play in one Mirren to get one Warmark for that, and then two Phyrexian ones to get the other two for that. So it just depends on then what quantities you have your Warmarks. But you can play any any deck. It doesn't matter what, as long as it's block. Yep, it does not have to be Mirren or Phyrexian aligned or anything like that. It's just a stomp block deck. It doesn't matter. Oh, well, I'm definitely grinding these, then. I'm pretty sure I have most of Tempered Seal already, anyway. Yeah, and uh, I can I can attest to uh, the effectiveness of Mono Black Poison, so, so I need to earn two more Mirrens, and then I'll have five and five, and I can play in two. And, you know, the value is good. Just It's a one-ticket entry fee. So you need that, your deck, and then if you win, you get a free pack, basically. Plus the Warmark. 
It's a lot more efficient than playing in two mans. Oh, game one of my sealed is starting. Kick some butt. Oh, I will. Turn one Scrib Sprites. Alright, let's get there. Is that that 1-1 one, one green creature flying? 1-1 one, one flying green creature, yes. Cannot believe I knew that. I'm so good. <laughs> let's see, what else? I've forgotten about Pro Tour Nagoya. Was there something you wanted to discuss about that in particular? Actually, it was kind of lame. Like, I, I, the only reason I really loved that Pro Tour was because LSB got another top 8. So I like I like seeing my favorite pro get into the top eight of a pro tour. That's always nice. What I did, what I dislike is that the only part of the pro tour that you can watch, that we can watch, that actually happened to being there is the top eight, and it's been like like almost a tradition, like a given, like every single solitary top eight for a block pro tour has always been a draft, and so just to my mind, it's a bit lame having to play a draft for the top mm. eight. Just because it's oh. it's just incredibly luck based, incredibly bomb based, and really like, you know, it's like there are a lot of like obviously all the players that made it to the top eight are all very skilled, but like sometimes like the player that people like they thought essentially that it was going to be like a top eight, and there was um, Fujita and LSV were expected to be like the top players because they were you know essentially the the best Magic players in the top eight, like based on their history. And both of them ended up getting beat down around one and losing, just because of you know just bad luck and facing opponents who just had you know big bombs and just a better draft deck. Like it was disappointing because we were like Pasta, I, and um, I can't remember who else was in there. Maybe Sinzen. We were watching the, the the stream, the webcast of the top eight, and they, they finally like they were just all these other two players for like the longest time, and finally, finally they cut to LSB. Just in time to watch, for us to watch him lose, and it was the most depressing oh, thing. So, because oh, they were like talking up his deck the entire time about how like he had drafted this poison deck that was just incredibly powerful, and that was going to bring him all the way. And he's facing an opponent that really had one card that wanted him the that won, and he had the Thopter Assembly and Treasure Mage. So I mean, every single game, every single game he had Thopter Assembly, and it just won. LSV, I think, had maybe one, maybe one, one or two games, but I think just one game actually. So it was three to one, and you know, it was it's disappointing to see like the the Thunder Assembly deck win against LSV's really awesome deck. And anyway, but the the Grand Prix, I mean, the Pro Tour winner was not really anybody that um, has been on the Pro Tour for a while. I think he's a fairly new player. He had like won a Grand Prix previously, but that was about it, and then he comes to the Pro Tour and sweeps, and, you know, good job to him, but I would have liked to have seen LSV win. Of course you would. But LSV is actually dominating right now in the Grand Prix. Grand Prix, Kansas, almost undefeated. He's in the top seven. He's actually in rank number seven with 24 points. And Kansas City is entirely sealed in draft, so it's another limited uh, tournament. Which in some ways is kind of depressing, because you don't get any kind of new tech out of Limited tournaments, really. But that's a different story. <laughs> so, I want to hold off on Commander talk until it's released online. Anything from M12 stand out? One thing that bothers me about all this M12 speculation is that people still think we're going to get new versions of Planeswalkers. It's just, it's kind of sad how hopeful these people are and how badly their hopes are going to be dashed against the rocks of truth. <laughs> against the rocks of truth. The only new thing about the Planeswalkers in M12 is the fact that it's going to be Soren and 
uh, Gideon over Johnny over, and over Johnny and Liliana, yeah. Because they're like, we're pretty sure, like, we know we're going to get a sore ending because they've showed us a picture, like, they actually, they seem like it's speculation. They've actually shown us <laughs> a picture of sore officially, officially spoiled. They make it sound like it's a rumor. And it's like, no, he's been spoiled, and Gideon has been spoiled, and we're going to get the other three planeswalkers just the way they've been printed in Lorwyn. Get over yourselves. I mean, and there are some interesting cards that have been printed, but I mean, there's not really anything that's like stood out to my mind has been like something amazing that I should comment on. I just like that Gideon's being reprinted. He's cool. I'm gonna miss a Johnny though. I'm not sure what they're gonna do with him. I'd like to see a Johnny Vengeance come back. That was a cool one. Yeah, Johnny Vengeance was good. But above all, I'd like to see Elspeth back. She's my favorite Planeswalker. I really. Well, one thing that bothers me, especially, is the art for the new Elspeth, Elspeth Terrell, makes her look like, like a soccer mom. I just can't stand it. <laughs> Where's the artwork? I want to see the artwork. You've seen it, Elspeth no, Terrell. No, I haven't. You have, you have like four. It's, it's printed in stars. Oh, okay. You think she looks like a soccer mom? I think she looks terrible. I think that's not Elspeth. That's an imposter. That's <laughs> someone who wants to be Elspeth. <laughs> like. You look at you look at Elspeth Knight Errant from Alara, and she looks like a twenty five year old. She looks amazing, and she looks like she's a badass. And you have Elspeth Terrell. It looks like she like just aged like twenty years and just looks bad. I don't know. <laughs> I wanted them to reprint Elspeth Knight Errant. That was an amazing planeswalker, overpowered in all the right ways. Well, even that art leaves something to be desired. Axe. <laughs> You're asking for it. Alright, so who wants to place their bets on a, the ban list? Stoneforge Mystic, that is all. What do you want to bet? I'll bet you on that. You want to bet something? You don't like the Elspeth art? Uh, no. Dykax, you disappoint me. No, I just mean it. It, it, there's, it leaves something to be desired. It could be better. It could be better. Somebody want to back me up on the Elspeth Night Arendar? Come on. Yeah, she's pretty awesome. Right, there you go. You got some love there. <sighs> How about we bet a Stoneforge Mystic? See, the problem is that if you do bet a, if you bet a, a Stoneforge and you win, <laughs> that'll be worthless anyway. Well, no, because it's still used in every other format. Still, like, when the card gets banned from standard, it'll go from being like an $8 card being like a four dollar card and it's being printed in like almost it's been printed in so many dual decks like Exiler, the legacy one and the new one they're coming out with it just i don't know that card's gonna be worth nothing soon you think it'll get banned eldritch no but i think i think if they're going to if they, if they were going to ban a card it would be stoneforge i don't think they're going to ban anything though personally i don't either stoneforge just doesn't seem that pivotal of a card to me I think it actually, I don't think it's a question of whether it's pivotal or not, because I think it is, because, I mean, you can get, I mean, the thing with Stoneforge is that if you have four copies in your deck, it means you're essentially running that many copies of every equipment you have, so you're really running, like, so you might have, like, one sort of feast, you know, one batter skull or whatever, and one, I don't know, body of mines for board and piece, whatever, so but with Stoneforge, you're essentially running five copies of each, because you can fetch them out that easily. And, like, the Battle Skull, you're essentially playing, like, a 4-4 Vigilance Lifelinker on, like, turn 3. So, I mean, that's a pretty big... I mean, that's a pretty big that's advantage. And I think Stoneforge really is kind of broken. But 
I just don't think it's going to get in because, I don't know, I just, I feel like the Wizards tends to just want to leave formats alone, especially formats that are old and they're going to be rotating out soon anyway. I mean, Jun was a problem before it rotated out and they didn't ever ban any cards from that. Right. Um, Jace, Jace has been around oh. for a long time. I mean, I think the only reason Jace is just getting all the hate is because it's so expensive. I mean, like, someone else made the argument, like, there might have been, what, 32 copies of Jace and, like, every single top eight, but there's also 32 copies of Preordain, and nobody wants to ban that card because it's overpowered, but because that's, you know, it's a common and anybody can have one. It's just the Jace that people want to ban because it's, you know, hard to afford. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, that's fair. No, that's what it is. I mean, Wizards has nothing to do with the secondary market, but... I mean, people do argue that, like, it's not about necessarily... I mean, I can see this argument that Wizards doesn't want to ban anything, but ultimately it's not whether cards are overpowered or whether they're expensive. It's how many people are showing up to their tournaments because that's what Wizards makes them a lot of their money on. It's just the Grand Prix, like Pro Tour, or what have you, attendance, you know, Friday Magic attendance, things like that. So I can see how that they think that their tournament attendance actually is being lowered, and it's Cobblade's fault, and it's Stoneforge Mystic's fault, or whatever, or Jason Mindscopper's fault, then they probably will ban something, but I don't think anybody really has enough data besides Wizards to be able to know whether or not the Grand Prix attendance for Standard really is falling off. I mean, so I wouldn't be surprised if next week or whatever, this coming week, that we see Stoneforge Mystic, or even Jace, I guess. Jace more surprised, but Stoneforge Mystic, I wouldn't be surprised if that's banned, but I wouldn't be surprised also if nothing was to happen at all. I think they'll just let time take care of it. But I guess we'll see in, like, two days. Is it going to be Monday, you think? Is they going to do it? Yeah, it's the 20th. All right. We'll find out, I guess. I'm just... I guess I'm glad I'm not the one making the decision. <laughs> but I think maybe the data they have, it's not that hard to figure it out. Well, I think that's going to do it for this episode. I don't have a pack to crack. I'll crack a pack for you, Ben. Okay. Go for it. You want to crack new Phyrexia? Yeah. Okay. Wow. Wow. All right. This is Sounds a good, pack. good. Sounds good. All right. So our first common is Vault Charge. It's two in a red. It's an instant spell. Vault Charge deals three damage to a target creature or a player, and then you proliferate. I find this card annoying. It's definitely a first through third pickable card, and the proliferate actually can be pretty relevant. Um, I haven't had a chance to play it in Psalm Block. I've only played it in Triple New Phyrexia, uh, but it's been pretty awesome there. And um, I definitely like the card a lot. I'm not sure how... I mean, I think in New Phyrexia it's a lot better because it doesn't have to compete with, like, Galvanic Blast. Um, but I think even that, I mean, it's still a pretty good card in comparison to that. You're just paying more for Proliferate. All right, well, let's go to the next one, then. Uh, it's a Victorious Destruction. It's four in a red, it's a sorcery. Destroy a target artifact or land, its controller loses one life. Man. Yeah, I, at one point I tried to play it, but it turned out to be pretty bad. And in Triple Nephorexia, it's okay, but I mean, I don't see how it could be justified being played in Scars block when you have Shatters. So, land destruction is not relevant, and the one life means nothing. The next card is a Parasitic Implant. It's three in the black is an enchantment. Enchant creature, at the beginning of your upkeep, enchanted creature's controller sacrifices it, and you put a 1-1 colorless mirror artifact creature token onto the battlefield. 
this card might be a little bit better than I initially valued it out. Like, I thought it was okay, and I played it in my first sealed, and it, I mean, it depends on how you use it. It's not a good card to stop a creature that's beating you down, but it can be a good card to take care of, like, a stalemate. So you put it on your best creature, and then it dies. Your next upkeep, you get a 1-1. Actually, a pretty good trade, and then you could keep going that way. Um, what's nice about it is that there really aren't that many ways to deal with enchantments, so you can pretty much guarantee that if you play it on their creature, more than likely it's going to kill their creature and you're going to get a token out of it, so it's not bad. Well, I won my first round of the sealed. Congrats. Sweet. So one more round to go to get into money. There you go. It's Swiss, right? Yes. There you go. So I have three rounds to win at least one. Sounds doable to me. Alright, so the next common is Numbing Dose. It's 3 and 2 blue. Uh, it's an enchantment. And, and you can enchant an artifact or a creature. Enchanted permanent does not untap during its controller's upkeep untap step. At the beginning of the upkeep of Enchanted Permanent's controller, that player loses one life. I personally actually haven't had a chance to play with this card yet, but I think Futant has a video where he plays it, and it seems like he does fairly well with it. I haven't watched it yet, so I might want to do that just to see how it plays. Um, it's to me, it's really expensive. A five mana for kind of a lockdown is not bad, and you can only play it when your creature or artifact already tapped. So I mean, you have to wait for it to be activated or to attack you, and then you can play the Nunning Dose on. So in that way, I think it's a bit weaker than like um, like Narcolepsy was and Rise of the Eldrazi that actually tapped the creature for you. But I can see how tapping it essentially, like I said, that many that much for enchantment removal. So it's not. It's pretty hard for them to get rid of, and plus it drains them of one life each time, so over, you know, several turns it actually does put you pretty far ahead if, you know, you can get the stick. I, I really just want to interrupt you here and, and apologize for my comments regarding Elspeth Knight Errant. I was apparently looking at different artwork, and she does look quite cool. Thank you. That means a lot to me in song, I'm sure. Hold on, I need to... I need a moment. <laughs> I don't know what artwork I was looking at. Probably the one from the, uh, the yes, dual decks. Yes, that's it. So now if you could agree with me that that leaves something to be desired. I agree, right. 100%. Yeah, no, she's cool in that armor. That armor is just badass. All right, moving on. <laughs> All right, so next comment is Mortis Dogs. Three in the black, it's a creature, it's a 2-2. Two, two. Whenever Mortis Dogs attacks, it gets plus 2, plus 0. Until the end of the turn, when Mortis Blocks is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, target player loses life equal to its power. This card for me actually has been awesome, and I typically like to take as many Mortis Dogs as I possibly can, because what's so great about this card is that if you play it and they kill it, they lose two life. So the card did its job, just by being played, essentially. And if you attack and they block and they kill it, they still lose four life, so it's almost like it was unblockable and got in there anyway. If they don't, I mean, it's like, it's a 4-2 for 4 that's also can also turn into direct damage. So to me, that's like amazing value. And cards, typically you can get like 3 or 4 of those. So they're pretty sweet. Well, you can get that many in a triple MPH. Probably not that many in a saw block. Do you have any thoughts on that, Dikex? My, my, like my thoughts are limited. Uh, <laughs> no, I like Mortis Dogs. I found that card to be very powerful. I like it. Same. I mean, it's not first pick, but, I mean, I've played three or four in my decks and done well. Okay, the next card is Glistener Elf. It's a one forest, one one infect. 
I think this card was not all it was cracked up to be. It looked really good on paper, but in practice... I think the card would have been amazing if it was printed in Scars of Mirrodin. Because drafting three packs of that, all the infect in that set, would have been a pretty sweet addition to that. But throwing it in in New Phyrexia makes it a lot worse, I think, just because of the fact that you can't really draft an infect deck anymore. At least any infect deck you draft will be incredibly watered down, especially if you're not the, you're not the only infect drafter on the table. So I think Glycerin Elf is a good card, but it's not good in the context of this, you know, the, the like the limited environments printed in right now. Like, it would have been amazing in Scars in Scars and Mirrodin, but and you know, Psalm Block, it's pretty mediocre, pretty bad actually. That is very well said. You're absolutely right. <laughs> like usual. I really admire your critical thinking skills. I'm just a repeater. I repeat things I read, <laughs> but so eloquently. Alright, so <laughs> the next card is Blissless Scorn. It's one in the green. It's an instant destroyed target artifact. It's control of this is one life. I've not played with this card. It <laughs> always looks like a good choice, but I never choose it. It actually is a pretty good choice. Um, it's essentially the green shatter, and it actually has a bonus effect that loses the opponent one life. I mean, it's nice because. I mean, it's not, you can't really say that you don't expect green to have artifact removal because that's just ridiculous because green has just so much artifact removal. So in some ways it's a bit worse than Shatter because green already has so much artifact removal. But, I mean, it's it's nice. It's an instant spell and it kills artifacts. And any kind of thing that kills artifacts at instant speed for two mana has got to be good in some block. All right, so the next card is Defensive Stance. It's one blue. An enchantment enchanted creature gets minus one, plus one. I made the mistake of taking this card once. That about sums it up. Probably the worst card in the entire set. That one and the, I think the one, the black one, that's like uh, three poison counters, three life, and three cards. Okay, don't say that in front of the Pasifarian because oh, he really? loves that card. If you're a poison deck, you can actually get, just hit your opponent with that and get them three poison counters with the bat. And so, you know, it's essentially like direct damage for poison. Um, and you can use it on yourself if you need to. If you're not playing a poison deck, and you like, essentially you're trading five mana and three life for three cards because the poison counters don't matter. So, I mean, it's not really that bad as a card draw deck if you need it, and it could be a finisher if you're playing poison. So, Pasta actually likes the card. I played it, and I wasn't really that impressed by it, but I probably wasn't playing it right or just wasn't the right time to play it. I don't know, but I think the card can be okay, but that's not no, what that's, we're talking that's, about. Uh... No, that's a good point. I probably just didn't but, know how to uh, play it. What you're saying makes a lot of sense. If you're poison, use it against them. If you're if you're not poison, then use the card draw for yourself. I mean, the danger that I see about that card is you have to play it like when they're about to die because you don't want to give them three cards. Right. Uh, next card, still common, is Chain Throat Seeker. It's five and a blue. It's a creature infect. Chained Throat Seeker can't attack defending player unless. Can't, can't attack unless the winning player is poisoned, and it's a 5-5. Five five. I used to take this card a lot, and then just found it never worked the way I wanted it to work. I actually like this card, and it does depend. Like You have to you have to know the way you want it to work, and it has to be the way the card was intended to work. And the reason I like it is because it can just be a 5-5 five five wall with Infect, and that's really hard to get around. And if you actually are playing Infect... And you happen to be the like the unblockable one-one infect blue creature, or maybe a flyer like the viral Drake the flyer, and you can get that one point of poison on your opponent. 
early, this guy's just a huge, huge threat. So, you know, I would play maybe one at most in the deck, though. And typically, I'd only play it if I had, like, a way... Either either I had lots of room in my deck, which means that deck was probably not very good, and I just needed, like, a big creature to be a wall, or I had some way to get to sneak a poison counter onto the opponent. The next card, still common, is uh, Blinding Soul Eater. Three artifact, uh, three colorless. It's a 1-3. It's a white or a Phyrexian mana, uh, and tap target creature. You tap it, you tap target creature. I like it. Yeah, actually, this is a really powerful card. I think it's actually a pretty high pick, even if you're not playing white. Yeah, who doesn't like a Blinding Mage? Yep, you've actually got a pretty good body on it, and you tap anything, and you could, you know, it's nice that it's a Phyrexian mana, because you could even tap out and still use your Blinding Solar if you needed to. So this guy may be, like, third or fourth pick, probably, depending on how good your first three are. If you had a really bad pack, I guess you could, I guess I could see you taking this first. Alright, so the next card is Shrine of Boundless Growth. It's three colorless mana, it's an artifact. At the beginning of your upkeep, or whenever you cast a green spell, put a charge counter on Shrine of Boundless Growth. Uh, tap it, sacrifice Shrine of Boundless Growth, add one to your mana pool for each charge counter on Shrine of Boundless Growth. I think with the exception of the red one, I, I'm not really pulled towards the shrines. This is the worst shrine. The best shrines are the red and the white shrines. The white shrine, which is, I think, Shrine of Loyal Legions, is just amazing. So the red shrine is even better than that. Yeah, they're both they're both very good. I think probably the red shrine probably is better because it is the direct damage, but like being able to make like a million mirror, or whatever it is, mirror tokens, 1-1, one, one, colorless guys, whatever it is, it's just amazing for the white one. And I think right below them is the black one, which is okay, but like making your, like making your opponent discard their entire hand it's pretty good, even though it's a bit slower and more expensive, but still, it's not bad. And then the other two, the blue and the green one, are just trash. They're unplayable. If only the blue one drew you all the cards, rather than just letting you sleight of hand one of them. Even if it just drew you half of the cards of the counters that were on there. And that was our first uncommon. Our second uncommon is Mind Culling. It's five and a blue, it's a sorcery. You draw two cards, and target opponent discards two cards. This card is good. Very good, actually. I would like to have this card in any blue deck I play. And limited, that is. Essentially, by casting, you bring yourself four cards ahead. Which is a pretty big deal. Next deck is Mind Crank. Two colorless artifact. Whenever an opponent loses life, that player puts that many cards from the top of his, li- his or her library into his or her graveyard. See, the thing with this card, to me, is that it looks like it could be good. Like, you think about, like, Grind Clock from, like, Scars of Mirrodin, and that card could just win you games. This is not exactly Grind Clock, but I just feel like, I don't know, I feel like this card could be good, but it's just probably not. Probably just terrible, but it looks, it just sounds cool. No comment, Dicax? No comment. I'm not compelled towards anything yet. Okay, well, you're about to be. You just want to hear what the uh, the rare is? It's a Batter Skull. Batter Skull. Batter Skull. Five. Artifact equipment, living weapon. Equipped creature gets plus four, plus four, and has vigilance and lifelink. You can pay three, return Batter Skull to its owner's hand, and it's five to equip. I've been meaning to try red. I'd probably take the Volt Charge. <laughs> First mistake. Yeah. Passing the Batter Skull. Yeah. Well, that makes it pretty clear. Batter Skull. 
That's usually the time in paper drafts where I just look at the person sitting to the right of me and just kind of stare at them for about two minutes as I windmill slam the batter skull onto the table and pass the pack. <laughs> <laughs> I guess if batter skull wasn't in the pack, I don't know. Maybe I would take ball charge, probably. Besides, Victoria's Destruction is the only right card to pack. It's a good removal spell, and it's just all around solid. But yeah, Batter Skull. I cannot believe I've cracked open two packs today. Yeah, two that's ridiculous. This is nuts. Yeah. Two very good I feel like mythics. Pasta. Is this how Pasta feels all the time? Because it feels pretty good to open up mythics. I know tomorrow I'm going to get like, hit by a car or something. It's oh, too much luck. Too much luck. That is pretty good. That's, uh, what, 40, 50 bucks? 34, 35, just from the Mythic wow. So, yeah, I'm glad we did this cracker pack, because what would have happened if I had waited? You would have been all alone. You would have opened it in a draft and, like, you would have opened it in a draft and you would have immediately won the draft? No, if I had opened it in a draft, it would have been the worst trash rare in the whole set. You would have opened up the batter school, though. No, you wouldn't. The packs are all... Like, what's the, like, the contents of the pack is not predetermined. It's the moment you open it is when the pack, like when the server sends you what, your card, what cards are in your pack. I know, it's not like... Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, they aren't predetermined when the pack is handed to you. It's all about the time that you open it. Yeah. Hmm. So apparently you guys should like, start opening it now because it's a good time. <laughs> no, they're all taken. That's a good point. That's a good point. Well, I think that's I'd take Batter Skull and be happy with it. Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. I wish I could open a Batter Skull actually in a draft. I don't even think I have a Karn. Oh, I bought a Karn. I bought Karns. With my MTG. I need to get a Karn. Coupon. Oh, yeah, because you won that, yeah. didn't you? What else did you buy? Mm. Have you cleaned out yet? No, not yet. Karn was the biggest thing I bought, I think. Other than that, I just bought a few, like, uncommons that I didn't want to wait on. Batter Skull, the Sword of War and Peace, and Karns. Let me see. I can't remember if I just thought about getting Tezzerets or got them. You can't remember if you bought Tezzerets or not? Dark would no, be so didn't. sad. Yeah, he would. He'd be upset by that. No, I didn't. So I probably still have a good half of it left. I don't have nearly as many new Phyrexia cards as I would like. Yeah, 427. Compared to Rise of the Odrazi, where I have 2008. Yeah, I have 472 <laughs> new Phyrexia cards. How many cards overall do you have? Um, 11,873. Oh, I've got 23 new Phyrexia cards. Bronze of the Adrosi was the best set ever printed to date. Well, best set in recent recent times, I think the last five years. I love that set. Last five years, doesn't, doesn't that include Ravnica Block? Perhaps. Because Ravnica Block was the best set printed ever in terms of balance, power level, and enjoyability of playing. That's actually possible. I haven't played Ravnica Block. That set was a blast. I always loved drafting that. It was the most amazing thing ever. There'll eventually be another one. They'll come back to some. There'll be some set that'll be awesome again. If our, I mean, Scar's blog is okay, but it's not that great. Well, there's a lot of people saying that they they think the Eldrazi escaped to Ravnica, and so they'll go back and revisit that eventually. That's kind of pathetic. When you think about it. Yeah, I liked your point about um, Mirrodin. Like they can't come up with a new world. <laughs> 
like, we're dealing with fantasy here. Like, you don't have, like, a nerd in your entire life going to think of a new world. Like, I, I bet you every single Wizards employee has, like, their own, like, like pet set tucked away in their closet. Every Wizards person in R&D should have their own plane. At least Innistrad looks like it's going to be a whole new plane. I thought at one point, like, when they went from Dominaria to Mirrodin to Kamigawa, that we were going to, like, that all the storylines were eventually going to tie back into Dominaria again, but they didn't. Like, because you had the Mirrodin thing was built by Karn, which is built, and Memnarch was built by using the Mirari, which is all related back to Dominaria and the you know, sorry, the onslaught set, and then you had Kamigawa, and at the end you had some really like ambiguous ending where like, what's his name, uh, Umizawa, the Jite guy, <laughs> goes, like gets transported somewhere by one of the weird god people, and I don't know, but now all of a sudden you're just going in so many weird directions that have no apparent relation to each other. I don't feel drawn that you're going to be doing anything for a while. Uh, so I just finished my uh, report on my the build your own standard deck. So that's up on the forums now. How and I'll go back to the forum and read up on it. But how do I sign up for this mentor thing? Uh, there's a forum section called Request a Mentor. Yeah, it's under the Serum General Forum. So you just go there and you post an application. There's another, there's another application template. You just copy and paste that into your post, and it's just like. Uh, what times are you available? What kind of stuff are you interested in? Um, anything else you want to know? Like just general information, the way the mentors can read it over and be able to match your schedule and play style and whatever. So you just sign up that way, and then I'll tell the mentors essentially that there's a new application and we're looking for somebody to fill the post, and that they'll just reply to that, and then you'll be assigned a mentor, and maybe three, four days, depending on how fast people respond. Could be longer, I guess. If People are busy. Okay. Thank you. Easy, how you doing? Doing great, thanks. How's clone magic, Easy? We had a really successful week last week. We had this really annoying guy come in, play for the first time, and win. Mm, let me yeah, guess. Yeah, that guy. What an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> we should beat him up and take his lunch money. I think we should. Anyway, we had a really successful week last week. Uh, we had five players. We're looking for to get six tomorrow night so we can get some points on the board. Poor Easy has no no uh, points in, in the uh, Seraphim points yet. It's just wrong. Did you see, Yuli, that I um, I made Sunday the Clone Magic game day? Very oh, nice. Awesome. So everybody has to go out and get the Clone Magic cards now, as they should. Also, what it means, though, like, let's say that you don't get six people. If you play... The clone magic games you play in your tournament count for the game day. So if you win a match in the tournament, you get one point for the Seraphim Players Club. Oh, that sounds, so you're going to get points just for coming and playing clone magic at the tournament. That, and then maybe more points, too, if you win a match, if you happen to win a match, right? Yep. But if you have six people, then you at least earn three points each. And then you play matches, too, that they stack on top of each other. I'll have to start taking a tally of everybody's points and report them. Um, by the way, tomorrow night's format is uh, one, two, three, part A. Um, they, all your current mana costs has to be either one, two, or three. And so yeah, I talked about that earlier on the podcast. Is that that's every spell, right, including creatures, everything? Yes, tomorrow night. Tomorrow is every spell, and then um, part two, which I think is the next week, or part beta, or whatever I called it, 
and we're going to separate out and uh, have some of the spells cost different amounts. So we just kind of with your base set and move on up. No problem. Well, I think that's it for episode 28 of The Voice of Seraphim. Well, I'm going to head out, guys, so good podcast, and uh, good luck, Osric and Coach, and Easy. Maybe I'll see you tomorrow. Thank you. Yeah, when you get back, maybe you can just play a couple clone matches to, for points. Just come back and win real quick and head out again. Yeah, that's good, too. <laughs> anyway, see you guys later. See you. Take it easy. Yeah, Isn't that easy line? That's it for our voice of Seraphim. I'd like to thank my co-host, Eldritch Song. Members of the clan can join us for the next recording of The Voice of Seraphim on Saturday at 9 p.m. Seraphim time. Until next week, this is Dicax. You've been listening to The Voice of Seraphim. Mm-hmm.